Did you know that in the first three months of 2020, $930 million were invested into companies developing alternative proteins for us to eat? According to the Good Food Institute, that's more than the total amount invested in this sector in all of 2019, which was also a record-breaking year with $824 million invested. I'm Daniel Hartz, and this is the Sustainability Champions podcast, where we highlight the people, ideas, and innovations that are protecting and healing the planet. Today, I'm speaking with Andrew Ive, founder and managing general partner of Big Idea Ventures. Big Idea Ventures is a venture capital and accelerator fund rolled into one that supports startups developing plant-based foods and ingredients, as well as cell-based meats. Previously, actually on Sustainability Champions, we spoke with one of the companies supported by Big Idea Ventures, and that's Shiok Meats. They're working on cell-based shrimp and lobster out in Singapore. It's episode number 47 if you want to check it out. So backed by giants like Temasek, Tyson Foods, and Enterprise Singapore, Big Idea Ventures provides funding, mentors, and partnerships to support companies like Shiok Meats. And why is this important? Well, these companies are disrupting the way meat fish, milk, and eggs are produced, as well as other ingredients so that we can continue enjoying these foods without the negative environmental and ethical impacts of traditional animal farming. So it's going to be a fascinating episode to hear how Andrew and his team actually make that impact. So thank you so much for joining me, Andrew. Thank you, Daniel. Really appreciate your time. Likewise. And where are you taking the call from, by the way? So I live in uh, sunny Princeton, which is about an hour outside of New York City. So a university town, a bit like Oxford, Cambridge, for, the, uh, for you as you're based in the UK. That's right. Uh, you know, the ivy, the ivy clad, you know, university town. Yeah, the Ivy Leagues. Um, so today, there's really three things I'd like to discuss, and um, there is so much to cover and not enough time as always. Um, so the three primary things is number one, really the amazing companies you've been working with in this quote unquote alternative protein space. Number two is your background and really how you became a pioneer in this industry. And then third, and probably really fascinating is what we can expect and what you see as uh, the future of food. So um, before we, we jump into all of that, I'd love just a quick background really briefly on, on uh, from from your point of view on what exactly does Big Idea Ventures do? Sure. So Big Idea Ventures is focused on solving the world's greatest challenges by backing the world's best entrepreneurs. So the whole team is sort of focused on the fact that from our point of view, uh, entrepreneurs, engineers, scientists will will be the people and are the people who are going to be solving some of the messes we've got ourselves into as a species. Um, and my role and Big Idea Ventures' role is to go find those entrepreneurs, scientists, engineers, and to help them, to give them money, support, uh, you know, hold their hands if necessary, uh, connect them with our ecosystem, do everything we can to help them to become successful, you know, moving obstacles out of their way. Hmm. Particularly um, with our first fund, for example, it's focused on plant-based meat, seafood, dairy, and cell-based meat, seafood, dairy, as well as technologies and ingredients. The, the reason being is um, if we can bring great products to market to replace animal factory farming, um, the climate benefit is, is enormous. So we don't want consumers to have to give up things and to have a life of abstinence. 
you know, food is a central part of how we live our lives, of how we share time with our families, with our friends. So what we want to do is to create great foods which um, allow us to have those cultural norms be sustained, but with a lower footprint in terms of carbon, uh, you know, plastics, uh, animal factory farming, and so on. So we think that by being innovative, we can bring great foods to market, which will replace those those products which um, are causing some of the challenges we have around climate, for example. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a really good point. I, I I think you're absolutely right. There are so many things you said there that are um, that I agree with, which is uh, you have to support entrepreneurs, scientists, engineers, and really the people who are essentially envisioning this future. And, um, and ultimately that's, uh, I suppose what, um, uh, a venture capital and an accelerator fund does. Um, and I, what I, what I also really agree with, and this is, I think a really crucial point point that I'm, it didn't really occur to me until relatively recently, which is the importance of, uh, looking at food as a cultural, from a cultural point of view, because, you know, it's, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, food is one of those things that, you know, in some households, certainly in mine, the kitchen is the most popular room in the house. Everyone always is around the kitchen. Someone's either cooking or you're snacking, but every, especially if your family's gathering together, that's where everyone is. And uh, if you're going to find, you know, if, if we're seeing that food is an issue from an environmental standpoint, then we need to find a way that people will still continue to enjoy food the way they're enjoying it now, while also not getting that negative impact. Uh, yeah, some people some people think that you can change people's consumption patterns through education. Uh, you know, there are diets around the world that are focused on helping people to eat different things by educating them on what's good and educating them on what's bad. The reality is, we've been taught every every day of our lives uh, what we like and what we don't like by our culture, by our family, by our parents, uh, etc. Um, and Everything that impacts the climate are basically minor, minute decisions we all make individually on a day-to-day basis, and they sort of compound and stack up. Um, and you know, the, the reason I'm I'm going to be generous, thirty pounds overweight here, not more, is because of that that half a pint of ice cream that I had. Right? I know it's bad for me. I'm educated enough to know it's not good for me, but that micro decision that Friday night, along with that pizza, has impacted my my body. And we as a species are making tiny little micro decisions in terms of our consumption, which are adding up and having a dramatic and unfortunately negative impact on our climate and on animal welfare and even our personal health. Uh, how do we solve that? By bringing great foods to market that have the same pleasure taste you know taste and pleasure and all the things that we wrap up in our food give us those same those same comfort aspects but actually are delivered through foods that have a lower impact on climate on animal welfare and ideally are healthier for us too so in other words they taste like they're bad for us they taste like they're unhealthy but actually they just happen to be healthy and better for us and better for the climate that's the ideal yeah, we I don't want bland. We don't. We don't want bland foods. We want delicious, yummy, you know, wonderful foods that we can share with our friends and family. Um, the the magic is if we can create those foods in a way that is healthier for us, 
healthier for you know the planet uh, and you know ideally ideally healthier for any species that are involved in the production of that food yeah absolutely and um i think that brings us right back to really what what you do at big idea ventures so um you mentioned that you support companies and remove barriers and partnerships and of course you provide funds um what I'm curious to know is, you know, I imagine that there's a lot of companies in this space, especially now before we started recording, you were saying um, that this is now really a true new food category. So I'm, I'm assuming that that also means that there are many companies and people who want to work with Big Idea Ventures. So how do you actually choose the companies that you accept into your program and, the, and that you choose to work with and support? Yeah, so so basically every six months we open our doors to uh, new companies, and we did that twice so far. So October last year and March this year, we opened our doors and said, "Hey, folks, if you're in the plant-based meat, seafood, dairy space, or the cell-based meat, seafood, dairy space, or an ingredient company that contributes to those two categories, we want to talk to you and potentially invest in you." Um, both times when we opened our doors, um, and, our, and that date, that kind of door opening date is on our website, um, we got something like 250 companies applying uh, for investment. And we wanted, we want to work at least in New York and Singapore. So we have two offices, um, one in New York that's focused on the North America market, and one in Singapore that's focused on Asia. Um, now, th- uh, I was going to say thankfully, but that's the wrong way of putting it. Because of COVID, um, we virtualized that that working with our teams in both New York and in Singapore. So, although we the companies we invest in um, are either folk, uh, are either attributed to either the New York team or the the Singaporean team, um, they, they've been able to do that from wherever they are in the world. So we basically look through 250 companies every six months and we find the 10 to 12 companies that we want to uh, work with. Also, what what we would usually do in the past is we would ask them to send uh, their one or two key people to either the New York office to work with us for five months or the Singaporean office to work with us for five months. Um, And most often the companies would do that. We would give them, you know, $200,000. Uh, a, two, a total package of two hundred thousand dollars, including one twenty-five cash, uh, and then we would encourage them to come work with us full time, forty hours a week for five months out of either Singapore or New York. Um, we still deliver all of the same things. We're still giving those people, the, the companies we invest in, the money, the time with our teams, access to our mentors, access to our ecosystem, and so on. But yeah, they just don't have to get on a, a plane and be physically. Uh, in in New York or Singapore to do it. I'm curious to know actually the the moment because you have quite an impressive history uh, as far as uh, funding and and actually being in the in the food space uh, in general. So I'm curious to know kind of that moment uh, if you if you have a moment when you really decided that the alternative protein space specifically is the one that you wanted to move into and and focus on. Yeah. Um... So when, when I in my previous fund, I was focused on food, uh, and that was everything food. It was uh, hardware, software, sustainability, supply chain, apps, marketplaces, uh, consumer products, uh, beverages. I mean, it was wow. 
you know, everything. anything and anything and everything food. If it had food in the title or in the subtitle, we could have invested in it if we wanted to. Um, I was sort of running up to my 50th birthday um, and I, I have spent most of my life post business school focusing on starting businesses, growing businesses, trying to create new companies, create jobs, grow, grow, you know, uh, create wealth effectively. And, and in your beginning of your career, you do spend a lot of time focusing on, especially if you're in startup world, uh, focusing on trying to raise money and, and convert your shares in your company into, and get, get your business sold and make money. I mean, it's all about making money. Um, and as I was approaching my 50th birthday, I sort of thought, okay, I'm going to spend the next 10 years, decade working on uh, business. I want to have it be about something else. I don't want it to be about how much money can I make in the next 10 years because, frankly, you know, how's it going to change my lifestyle now? Uh, it's not really. I, I've got the house I need. I've got the car I need. You know, a 10-year-old Honda Pilot, I'm good. Uh, I, I'm not a car guy anyway. So, you know, how do I – what can I do in the next 10 years that can take all that stuff I've learned and all the stuff, all the mistakes I've made and actually do something that makes things better? Um, I've got an 18-year-old daughter now who's about to go to college, and I'd like the world to be as friendly towards her as it has been towards me growing up. Um, so from my point of view, I was super excited about food. Food for me is is the category which – has so many things going for it. It has the ability to change, you know, change the world in so many different ways, but also it's a very collaborative industry. People do support each other. People are trying to help each other out. It's less stabbing people in the back than other industries. Um, and it's important. Food is important in terms of, um, you know, how it can solve some of the problems we have. Uh, I came to the conclusion that for the next 10 years, I wanted to focus in on that subcategory of uh, alternative meat, seafood, dairy, plant-based meat, seafood, dairy as a way of solving some of these bigger problems we have. Uh, and that for me is climate change, global warming, animal welfare. Um, and personal health is important. And I, I get that. But for me, it's about climate change more than anything else and then animal welfare. Yeah, I think, well, that's, uh, yeah, it's very powerful. And I think you're absolutely right. It's um, the, the climate change and the animal welfare, especially with some of these cell-based meats, um, meat companies, they're really, com well, they will completely change how we how we do everything related to to meat from the actual uh, raising of the food to the processing of it. It's, um, it's amazing because uh, I've spoken to a number of, of, companies and people on this podcast. So I, I mentioned um, Sandhya Sriram of Shiok Meats, and I've also spoken to uh, to Lou Cooperhouse of Blue Nalu. Uh, and Lou's, Lou, Lou's a good friend. Uh, yeah, they're, they're doing some incredible stuff. Um, uh, most recently, I spoke with um, Khan Danud in uh, Amsterdam from Meetable. Mm. Um, so yeah, and then and a couple of others, including uh, Rich Kellerman, Bond Pet Foods, and then Brian Spears of New Age Meats. And it's... Um, it's just incredible to see the, um, I mean, it's a huge disruption because ultimately, as we were saying, you know, everyone needs to eat, first of all. And second of all, we've all been eating and 
kind of growing our food in the same way for thousands of years. It's one of those unique industries where we've actually been doing it in a very similar way, more or less, for thousands of years. Um, and so it, it really is a huge disruption. And, and like you said, it's a really big idea um, that people need to approach in order to actually make these changes. Absolutely right. So with um with the with the fund that you have this you have currently one fund which is called the new protein fund. Mm-hmm. Um, you're focusing on uh, like like you've mentioned basically either cell based meats, fish, uh, seafood, or plant based foods and ingredients. Um, so what kind of companies are you actually focusing on specifically that are that are coming in that are that have been in the previous two cohorts sure sure absolutely so we've got 25 companies in the current portfolio um and that's a variety of companies across plant-based meat seafood dairy and cell-based meat seafood dairy Um, we also branched out recently into into another company that's super exciting they're using uh, what's called microbial fermentation uh, to develop um uh, honey. Huh. And the interesting thing about the company is that um, at the cellular level, um, it, it's indistinguishable from honey. Um, but because it's using a fermentation, pro- a microbial fermentation process, um, it uh, is is basically plant based. So it's it's plant based, but it's also at the cellular level, pretty basically identical to honey. Um, and yet you don't need you don't need the little honeybees flying around doing their thing. You don't need to be putting them in hives and kind of, you know, having that whole supply chain uh, to make it to produce the product. Um, so that's that's a really interesting uh, company, Melibio. Uh, do- and, and the interesting thing about honey as well is it's not just used as a, you know, as a, a, a jar of the, the stuff that you put on your toast in the morning. Um, it's also in in a lot of food uh, food products as in, as an ingredient. It's also in life sciences uh, and skin care and hair care and other categories. So it's 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 a, a phenomenally huge industry that's relying on you know the insects to run around and do what they do and you know swapping out the sugar water uh, for the honey that they're taking away. Um, and it's probably the first true in fact i think it is the first truly vegan um honey in the world and so that's a company we invested in that's crazy exciting that's um, so unique. but yeah we've isn't it kind of cool it's, it's and do you see what do you see but do you see what i mean about big ideas right yeah. so it's like this company is is just completely changing the game for the honey industry i was about it's to say just, it's a game changer <laughs> yeah 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 uh, and we've got and we've got 25 companies like that. So I get to do some really exciting things with some phenomenal uh, team members, but also companies that we get to, uh, you know, play with. Are there any any others? I mean, if 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 that's one of them, I can only imagine what the other 24 <laughs> are like. These are yeah. So so there's. I mean, we've literally got some just phenomenal companies. One thing I wanted to also mention is um, there's a company in China. Uh, called Zen Meats, uh, which is Z or Z H E N Meats. Uh, Z if you're in the UK. Z if you're. <laughs> I'm bilingual, uh, it, so I understand both. 
Did you? Good for you. Yeah, okay. yeah, Z- so, Z- Z- yeah, so, yeah. so Z- Z- Zen Meats is based in China. Uh, they're creating plant-based pork uh, pork dumplings. Um, mm-hmm. Use uh, and that's now. This is this gets back to the kind of cultural thing that we were just talking about. Um, if we want to make this plant-based category, you know, as big as it can be and and as as impactful as it can be, it isn't about getting as many impossible and beyond burgers sold throughout the world as we can, because that's, that's also westernizing other people's food habits and cultures, which sure. Yes, they'll do that occasionally, but the reality is if you want to have impact, figure out what the equivalent to the burger is in other countries. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from a meat perspective and try and substitute those products with a plant-based or a cell-based alternative. So, for example, in China, the Xiaoling Bao, the, the, the dumpling, is probably the equivalent to the burger. So if you want to have a, a significant impact, go launch a plant-based you know, uh, Chinese-style dumpling that looks and tastes like this, the traditional dumpling, but actually is made from um, a plant-based ingredient instead of a meat ingredient. We've got two companies that do exactly that. One is called Zen Meats in China. Uh, and the other is called Karana, uh, K-A-R-A-N-A, out of Singapore. And Karana is using a whole uh, jackfruit um, ingredient. So it's a, it's it's a you know they're they're basically taking jackfruit um, and and then putting it in a sauce that has the the kind of t- uh, pork sauce that you would typically have in a dumpling like this, but it's actually using the jackfruit texture. Uh, uh, combined with the, the the sauce and it just tastes and looks and acts exactly like the traditional food but is is 100 plant-based it's just crazy yeah by the way have you um have you tasted any uh any cell-based meats or seafood i have uh so so shock on the uh, from a shrimp perspective uh that that's a product uh i i haven't tried We've currently got seven companies in our portfolio on the cell-based side, um, uh, and I haven't tried their products yet. I haven't had an opportunity to try their products yet. May, I was destined to do so, but uh, this whole—I've been literally locked locked down in Princeton for the last six months, so um, I haven't managed to get out there and try the try the meat. Yeah, I, I'd love to know what it, what it's like. Was the, how was the um, how was the shrimp? It was great. It was great. So interestingly, it doesn't look like um, the kind of it doesn't have it doesn't look like a shrimp in the sense that it's cur- it's, it wasn't curved and orange and you know all the things you expect to see from a traditional shrimp. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why we were really excited about shock because um, shrimp has a distinct smell and flavour. Um, and one of the most challenging things about cell-based meats is making it look like the original product that you want to replace. So making it look like a steak, making it look like a pork chop or whatever. Getting getting that visual aspect right is 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 probably well, is is one of the most difficult aspects of of delivering cell-based meat. Um, aside from the whole commercialization scale, et cetera. Um, with shrimp, 
because it has a distinctive flavor, if you use it as a B2B ingredient that goes into soups, that goes into dumplings, etc., it doesn't have to have that orange pink look to it. It doesn't need to have the curve. All it needs to do is taste as it should and 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 smell like it should, and it can be used as an ingredient. Mm. What that means is they don't have to worry about that look and therefore they can potentially bring it to market as an ingredient far faster than a typical cell-based meat company. Yeah, that's a really good point. And then um, continue developing the uh, the actual a shrimp that actually looks like a shrimp while making an impact. Um, I know I, one of the ingredients is like shrimp paste, and that's just basically, I mean, there's no way to tell you know, <laughs> what shrimp paste originally looked like. It's a, it's a paste. Correct. And another reason why when we invested in Gourmet, and Gourmet is a, is a Parisian um, cell-based foie gras, Wow. So, so foie gras is is the is what's known as the most expensive unstructured meat, and that unstructured piece is really important. That's the piece where it doesn't need to look like something, hmm. right? If it's unstructured, it's a in this case it's a pate. So as long as you've got the right cells, and as long as you can turn it into a paste, which you can, which is actually quite easy to do, you can make incredible foie gras without the animal torture or, you know, uh, mis- um, sorry, I don't, I don't want to turn people off, but without the, the animal uh, uh, being harmed in any way, because you're literally taking, in the, in the case of gourmet, they're taking a cell from an egg, so it's unfertilized, and then they are developing that cell, they're feeding that cell um, natural oils so that that cell becomes fatter, uh, because what effectively foie gras is, is liver, is a fat liver of the duck, right? And the way you typically create that is by force feeding the duck, um, using a tube into their throat until the liver expands, becomes incredibly fat, and then explodes. And um, I'm sure people who make foie gras will write me lots of letters now telling me I've got it all wrong. But still, um, the, se- the cell-based approach is taking a cell from an egg feeding it um, oils so that it becomes fatter um, and then multiplying that cell um, in growth fat in a growth medium so that you don't so you can end up with the same end product without the the animal being caused any form of discomfort throughout the process mm. um, so yeah first the first vegan foie gras out of uh, Paris uh, which is probably the the place it should be out of right Paris should be doing this yeah I think that's the (laughs) that's the right place for it and and certainly where um where you you'll probably have enough people who will be able to tell you whether it's good or not good or not yeah Yeah. the biggest Um, markets for foie gras though are China and uh uh, and Japan believe it or not interesting and and we're, I mean, you you were mentioning some of these companies. I'm I'm, I guess I'm thinking. You know, if you were if we were to fast forward five to ten years, um, mm. based on what you're seeing now and the way people are thinking about uh, food and specifically al- alternative proteins, you know, as far as trends, where where are you really seeing um, food? Like, what 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 does the future of food look like to you? And maybe let's say twenty thirty, or or even beyond. Um. Gosh, uh, presupposing I'm still alive. Okay, <laughs> so um, <laughs> I think there's two dimensions that really 
that really excite me about 2030 from a future of food perspective. Um, one is that um, a lot of what's happened in the plant-based, cell-based space um, has happened through entrepreneurs. So it has happened through individuals who have literally got up, got up off their, their rear ends, their sofas, their, you know, whatevers, and have decided that they weren't getting whatever it is they wanted from the food industry. And they want, they were prepared to go to a, a, a commercial kitchen at $15 an hour uh, and play around with ingredients until they figured something out for themselves. Um, they were prepared to kind of bring some kind of innovation, whether it's a plant-based or cell-based innovation, to a farmer's market and just somehow get it into as many people's mouths as possible and see how they liked it. And when people liked it, they they kind of did it some more. And eventually they iterated and optimized and brought great uh, products to market. So one of the things that really has excited me about this category um, is, is that it's 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 almost like the democratization of innovation. It's people um, not relying upon big food to come up with their next food products and and they're just happy to sort of be fed those foods through their grocery store. You know, they're, they're coming up with the foods themselves. Um, they're bringing those products to market one way or another, e even if it's in a little way, a small kind of farmer's market style and then rolling it forward from there. Um, they're finding people like me and organizations like mine to, to give them a little bit of money to hold their hands, to help them scale those products into, you know, uh, uh, larger volumes that then can get sold into a lot more stores. So from my point of view, I'm really, I've really been excited about this, um, this, this kind of small person standing up and just getting out there and, and starting something. I think that's been really phenomenal. Um, and I've, I've been, I'm glad that I'm able to kind of help facilitate that in some small way. Um, the second thing is, and, and this comes back to the cell-based, maybe a year ago when I was talking about cell-based, I was sort of saying, uh, I don't know if consumers are going to ever walk into a grocery store and walk over to a refrigerated unit and be prepared to buy a piece of steak or a burger or a meatball or whatever from a cell-based um, process. Because we've been taught over time that, you know, taking meat from a farm, um, having an animal that is supposedly walking around blissfully unaware of what's going to happen to it in a farmyard is, is the way that we do our animal protein. I don't know that that we're. I, I didn't know a year ago whether we would ever be prepared to consider consuming meat in a different that was made in a different way. Hmm. Um, whenever I discussed it, I would also also say unless there's a shock to the system, unless there's something, unless something happens which 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 stops people trusting wholeheartedly the animal protein food system as it currently stands and where people start to look at cell-based as maybe a cleaner way or a better way of doing things. Um, and I didn't anticipate that there would be a shock to the system, that, that COVID would come along and and some would suggest it's, it's kind of um, uh, caused us to, um, that the animal 
kind of over farming of animals and so on might be one of the reasons why COVID has occurred. Now, I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if anyone's ever got kind of got to the bottom of that yet. But I know that from purely from a consumer perspective, some people are a little less confident about um, the animal factory farming process as it currently stands, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in North America or, or whatever. Um, and therefore, there's there's going to be, and we're seeing it on our side, an increase in the investment in plant-based. People are consuming more plant-based meat analogs, uh, seafood analogs, and so on, um, maybe because they're perceived as safer. I don't know. Uh, but there's certainly been an increase during COVID for those kinds of foods, uh, for sure, from a volume perspective. If there are more shocks to the system over the next five to 10 years, I think there may come a point where cell-based is seen as the safest way of producing protein. Um, and it's a big if, you know, will there be other zootropic kind of challenges? I don't know um, if there are. Um, or if there are any other shocks to the system, um, there may come a point where people say growing in, in very clean scientific environments, our meat may actually be a safer way of keeping pathogens and other you know, challenges in the food system out. Uh, and therefore, we trust meat that's been grown in this way more so than we do in the traditional way. Um, I don't know. It's. It, I, I hope, in a funny sort of way, I hope um, it doesn't, because it means if we if we push if we go aggressively towards cell based as a as a culture and so on, it's because some terrible, you know, potentially challenging things have happened to the traditional meat industry. Um, I hope that doesn't happen for you know for the people in the industry, but um, it could do. Yeah, I think that's um, both of those points are are interesting, and it's um, yeah, you're. I think you're right. It's this has kind of been a catalyst for the um, specifically uh, for the plant based space because those are already available uh, in stores. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I was reading a stat somewhere that uh, I won't quote it, but I remember seeing. I believe it was in Singapore and Hong Kong that. Um, like vegan diet trends have skyrocketed dramatically over the last uh, three or four months as a result of coronavirus. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, um, it, it, I think it's really interesting that actually almost your faith, it sounds like, in this space has grown stronger as a result of coronavirus in the last uh, several months. Yeah, well, yes and no. So originally, I was sort of very pro plant based thinking it was the low, you know, it was the low hanging fruit, it was where consumers would be prepared to make the purchasing decisions and were. Uh, and, you know, we were seeing in North America, Europe, uh, tier one cities in Asia, so Singapore, uh, you know, Shanghai, Beijing, uh, Australia, we, we're seeing a lot of consumers opting into plant-based in a big way. It's not even a, you know, it, it, it's it's just, it, it's a shift. It's not a, a trend, it's a shift. It's, it's happening in pretty much all parts of the world at this point. Um, so I was thinking plant-based was the was the kind of way to go. And, and I sort of do, but you asked me about 10 years from today. Um, plant-based works if the supply chain that we have 
is working at full, full is fully functioning. So when COVID hit, the supply chain broke for a short period of time where you had ingredient providers on one end not able to get their ingredients into the manufacturing facilities and then ultimately get what was manufactured out to grocery stores and the end shelves, right? That broke down for us. What that means is that if you're a country that is producing plant-based foods, whether it's for yourself and others, if you're not getting the inputs of soy, pea protein, wheat, um, faba beans, chickpeas, whatever the kind of core ingredients are, if you don't have those inputs because you're relying upon your neighbors to give you those ingredients, the plant-based industry in that country stops. Hmm. Whereas with cell-based, you don't need land, water, fertilizer, um, crops to feed the animals. You don't need trucks to ship the, 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 the kind of ingredients around to feed the animals. You don't need to have slaughterhouses. You don't need to have processing plants. You, you don't need all of those things. What you need is a facility that allows you to, to grow those cells and then to take those cells and build them into the um, meat that you want to consume and sell. It's an assembly business. With animals, it's a disassembly business. You're mm. taking, you're taking, you're feeding an animal for three years, two years, one and a half years, whatever it might be. You're feeding it constantly. You're, it, it's standing on land. It's get being given water uh, all the time. You're feeding it things through by delivering all of this uh, ingredients, uh, crops, etc. That it's being that it's eating via trucks. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, climate change wise, it's a very inefficient system. Um, I think we're all aware that, you know, uh, I think it's with beef for every nine calories we, uh, sorry, for every one calorie of beef we get out um, of, of an animal, we have to put nine calories in to get it. So it's a very inefficient com a protein conversion system. Um, Plant-based isn't, uh, but you do rely upon those inputs with cell-based, it's it's not about inputs. It's about growing something in an environment, um, and it's it's growth factor driven. Now, so yeah, so in terms of food security, um, cell-based is probably the safest and best technology for providing long-term food security around protein. Um, I wish they would figure out how to do so without using FBS. Uh, but we, you know, we have, for example, we've invested in a company called Biftech uh, that is developing a plant-based um, growth factor that isn't using. Are you familiar with what FBS is? Um, I believe it's fetal bovine serum. Something like correct. That. Correct. And so a lot of these come. They have to take it out of a calf, right? So what? Yeah. What happens is the animals. Um, a pregnant cow in the slaughterhouse has a calf inside. They take the calf out. They they withdraw the blood from the heart of the calf, and then they centrifuge it. And what you get out of that centrifuging, some of it is growth factor. So um, that's how some of you know some of these companies that are using FBS are are getting their FBS. Um, so it's it's a bit of a circular argue, argument. How you know how do you create cell based meat that is not harming animals when you need to take the 
you know the heart blood of a calf to grow the meat in um there are there are various companies that are working on alternatives to fbs um i've seen probably six pop up in the last 12 months wow. we've invested in one of them uh the one we've invested in is is using plant based uh ingredients to get their growth factor um so if if that kind of comes through from a science perspective um a it will um be purely 100% plant based which is very cool to uh, uh, uh they will also have uh we believe the same yield as fetal bovine serum and it will also be far less expensive so uh we're we're excited about that technology for sure yeah i think one more big idea um, and another game changer. I'm just uh, conscious of time here, Andrew. So um, the people who are listening to this podcast, if someone wants to help you on your journey to support big ideas, I keep going back to that just because uh, I like it. And um, uh, and if you know if they're if they want to be a part of it, whether they have a company or they want to invest or or if they just if they're a consumer, how how can people listening to this podcast actually support you and and the work that you're doing? Thank you. What a, what a fabulous question. So we're we're so on bigideaventures.com uh, is our website. We also have a page on LinkedIn uh, where people can find us Big Idea Ventures again. But we're looking for different ways of helping what we do. One is we're looking for great companies that want support, help, money, uh guidance. We've invested in companies that are very very young that are just sort of um a, a, you know, a great peop- a group of people with a great idea. Uh, we've also invested in companies that have already brought pro- a product to market and want to expand. Um, we're kind of unique in that we're focused on plant-based and cell-based. We also um, are focusing in on the North America market, also um, Asia uh, in particular. But I do expect us to have a European presence uh, probably within 12 months and uh, some other locations are also in are also in the works. So, yeah, great companies that want help, um, people that are dissatisfied with the food system who want to sort of get out of their chairs and throw something at the wall, uh, get something going, reach out to us. We can talk about that. Um, if people are excited about this opportunity, because as you said, I think um, this is a the first time there's a whole new. Uh, food category. It's not just an incremental product. It's a whole new space. And if people are interested in the opportunity to invest in this space, come and talk to us about that. Um, yeah. Excellent. Friends, neighbors, you know, uh, what is Countrymen. it? Countrymen. Well, no, it's more the uh, kind of New York uh, t- tired and huddled masses, you know. <laughs> yeah. From our point of view, we're, we're friendly people. We want to make this ecosystem work, whether that's uh, working with the best food companies on the ingredient side, the uh, production side, distribution, retail, food service. Um, it, it's it, it's going to take every all of us working together to make this ecosystem really uh, work. And so, uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to bring everybody to the table we can. Excellent. For um, I'm just looking at your website here again, bigideaventures.com. Uh, for the New York Accelerator specifically, it says that applications for anyone who wants to be part of Cohort 3 Accelerator, uh, applications are due on the 4th of September of 2020. And then uh, the actual accelerator will begin in early January. Um, hopefully, maybe by then, it'll actually be an in-person one. Uh, 
But Wouldn't that be I, great? I suppose, yeah, I suppose we'll, we'll see. Um, final question. I'm just really curious to know. I, this is just a little fun one that I enjoy is um, who uh, in, in the sustainability space overall, and, and I suppose from your point of view, it may be food related, but it doesn't necessarily have to be. Who, who do you admire in the quote unquote sustainability field? <laughs> I I admire, and this is going to sound hokey, and I apologize, but I admire all of the entrepreneurs I get to work with. Um, they, all of them are putting themselves out there. They're they're kind of they've they've told their friends, their families, and anyone that will listen. Probably people that don't want to listen about how they're going to change the world and. Uh, they've given up, often given up jobs. Uh, they've moved into, you know, bed sits and tried to cut their costs because they want to make their businesses uh, thrive and grow. So, if there's any, if there's anybody I sort of respect in in my life uh, as it relates to sustainability, it's all of the founding team members of all of the companies we've invested in. They're all sacrificing a lot to do something incredible. So, uh, all of the founders literally in our portfolio and, and they don't even need to be in our portfolio all of the founders out there who are you know trying to make a difference and uh, and are prepared to change their lives to do good um they're the people that deserve the round of you know the applause and the support that's uh that's an awesome answer yeah thank you for that and i think that's um you know if i if i were thinking of which accelerator to be a part of as a founder i think that uh, mentality is one that i certainly would appreciate and i think that would really draw me specifically to big idea ventures to be part of a group where uh you know i'm seen as uh as someone who's really doing something and, and you clearly appreciate um all the challenges and, and like you said, sacrifices that come along with, with entrepreneurship. So uh, for anyone who's interested in being part of the, uh, being part of the accelerator, bigideaventures.com is where you go to, to take a look and apply and, and learn more about it. Um, well, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Fascinating conversation. Uh, really enjoyed it and uh, good luck. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully in January, things will be a little bit, uh, closer to back to normal, quote unquote, whatever that means. And uh, the accelerator will be in person, both in New York and in Singapore. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you to Sustainability Champions. And thank you, Daniel. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.